Hi, I'm Izzy, host of the STEM Untapped podcast. This week, our student interviewers Tamina and Ellie are interviewing Dr. Jessica Boland. Jessie is a senior lecturer of functional materials and devices at the University of Manchester. She is hard of hearing, or little d deaf, and uses lip reading, hearing aids, and British Sign Language. I'm Dr. Jessica Boland, and I'm from the University of Manchester. I'm a senior lecturer researching nanomaterials and devices in the electrical engineering department, but I am a secret physicist. I am Tamina. We chose you because we're very interested in physics and next year we're doing our A-levels and I am going to do physics. Hi, I'm Ellie. I'm also in year 11 as well. We chose you because in our class, I would say it's quite even with like boys and girls and stuff, but it's good to see the differences and like the diversity. And I just want to know like, what's it like for you in diversity in your classes and stuff? That's great. I'm so delighted that you chose me. Yeah, it's really nice to to meet you both. And also, it's great to hear that you're both interested in physics. So yay! Physics is great. You won't be disappointed. You'll never get bored. But I think it's a good point that you raised about diversity. It was actually, I did my physics A-level in an all-girls school originally. So while I would say that we did do a lot of physics, I didn't see that shock of kind of diversity until I went to university. So in my A-levels, it was all of us girls. We all enjoyed it. I think that there was two of us that absolutely loved physics for physics on its own and knew we were going to do a physics degree. So when I went to undergrad, it was a little bit different. It was like five of us girls in a group of about 80 so that was very different and similar when I did my uh, PhD which is what gives you a doctorate there wasn't too many girls there either but what I would say is we were all extremely supportive of each other so the five girls within my course we were always kind of chatting helping each other as well and I had a really good friendship group around me What does your day-to-day life look like? Do you wake up early in the morning or do you like lying? Lying is my favourite. I hate to tell you, unfortunately, I wake up too early, too early. So um, this morning, I was like out the door at half six in the morning, right? Don't worry, that's not what being a scientist is like. (laughs) I promise, you can lie in. The reason for that is because I've got an hour commute to get into work because I I live in Chester and I work in Manchester. So my partner, he is an engineer as well. So he he works in in Wales. He's uh, designing scopes for the military, rifle scopes, the military, which is pretty cool in itself. Yeah, exactly. And I obviously work at the University of Manchester. So I've got a little bit of a commute to do because we live halfway in between. So that's the only reason I wake up early. During my PhD, you could have like come in at 10am if you wanted to, which is a pretty sweet deal. I'm not going to lie. Most of us academics, while we teach, and most of our teachings in nine to fives, our hours that we work are quite flexible. Some of us choose to get up early and finish at like 3pm, have a little bit of a jolly then. Some people like to work in a lab in an evening because it's quieter. 
Um, myself, though, I, I start quite early, usually in at eight o'clock. And my typical day starts with admin. So I will do some emails, check that my group is OK, sort that out. Then I kind of go around my group and chat to them about the science that they are doing. So I used to be in the lab full time myself. Now I'm more of a supervisor. So my students are in the lab most of the time. They do a lot of the work. They are amazing people. They are kind of the brains really behind the operation. So I speak to them. I ask them questions, give them tips on their research, etc. Check that they're all doing okay. Then I might actually go give a lecture that could be two hours. So I teach to 300 undergraduates in a massive lecture theatre. It's a lot of fun, not as scary as it sounds. And then I might come back into the lab myself and I do a lot of aligning of my lasers. So I've got to put my laser safety goggles on, get my hands, get my gloves on, get my hands dirty. And I'm using um, a lot of mirrors to direct my lasers onto my material. The other part of what I might do in a day is tell people about those results. So that's people that pay me. So people that pay for all the lovely expensive equipment that I have. I tell them what I've done, that I've got nice results as well. But it's also telling the rest of the science community. So I might be writing papers to tell them about the results. Similar to a report you might write in school. So when you do your practical lab experiments and you have to write up your results, sometime I spend, I'm kind of in my office writing up results in a similar way so that we can then work out what to do next. Yeah, that's kind of a typical day. I'm sorry that it starts at 6am for me. I'm sorry, Ellie, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you find it harder to learn physics because of your disability? My disability is a hearing impairment, or you could say that I am deaf with a little d. That means that um, I have quite a significant hearing loss, but when I was growing up, I didn't use sign language as a first language. Now I've started to learn sign language and I use it an awful lot more. But when I was studying for my physics degree, I didn't have that sign language capability. So I was relying on lip reading a lot. And actually, everybody lip reads, they just don't know it. So we all do this. But because I've had to do it for much longer and tune into it as a main means of my communication, I would say that I probably do it better than the average person. But that's what I've basically relied on for my degree. I didn't realise I was deaf for several years. Bizarre, right? I had no idea what other people can hear. So for me, I was like, this is a normal level of hearing. Everybody can't hear trees, everybody whistling, everybody can't hear birds, everybody struggles with speech. So for me, I didn't realise for a long time, especially as a child, that I had this um, problem. But I would say that I had mechanisms for coping that allowed me to, to do well kind of at school. So things like sitting at the front, knowing that I needed to see people to lip read. My teachers were aware, so they would make sure that I got instructions really, really helped. Um, I would say that I probably got tired more doing my degree because you're focusing so much and concentrating. You're lip reading a lot. Your brain's trying to compute what you're lip reading and compute the information that's going in. So that was very difficult. 
in the first year, I didn't have a note taker. So that was my main means of communication. And I did get quite tired. In second year, though, I got a lot more support. So I had a note taker. That was great because also everybody else in the class wanted the notes. So it's great for making friends. So especially around revision time that you just be like, ah, oh, look, everyone, I've got some notes that I'll happily share with you for some chocolate. So um, that worked quite well. There was perks for that. But I had note takers. I had radio aids. You may have seen them in the theatre. You wear hearing aids on your ears. You give a device to someone else and it's like a microphone. So I had that. And then it got a lot easier in terms of studying at undergrad. What I will say is that my disability didn't affect my ability to study physics, as in physics is still physics. It's still the same physics. So in terms of the pr problems that were hard in physics were still hard for me and everybody else who could hear as well. And my ability to do experiments was exactly the same as everybody else. All I needed was that access to make it difficult. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that most people who have a disability you'd find will say to you that we don't feel disabled because we can still do what everybody else can do. We just need adjustments to help us do it. So that's what I would kind of say about learning, that once I had the adjustments, it was exactly the same as for everybody else. But without the adjustments, it was a little bit harder. We find your job amazing. We think that's great. And was there anyone that was sort of a major part of getting you there? Or was there any like sort of major inspiration that got you to where you are today? I think... There's been a lot of people along my path to getting this job. Usually people go, oh, Mary Curie's always been my role model and things like that, right? I would have said that it's the people around me, people that I wouldn't have expected, that it's been a lot of kind of inspiration and support. My parents were great inspiration. Neither of them are scientists. My mom's a school teacher. And my dad works as a kind of business manager. But my dad was really, really technical. And my mom as well, kind of just around the house and curious and experiments. So I'd say that that was quite inspiring for me and their work ethic was inspiring. And I wouldn't have got where I am today if they hadn't supported me along the way. My maths teacher is the reason I chose physics. Mine was great. And she was like, I was enjoying maths. And I was like, oh, I think I didn't know what I wanted to do, by the way, at A level. So don't panic if it takes a while to work out exactly what you want to do at uni. I went between Latin to German to French to maths. And then the maths teacher was like, you love problem solving. If you do a maths degree, you will get bored. So you need to have a real life application. Go and do physics. And it was the best advice she's given. She hated physics, by the way. She did a maths and physics degree. She loved maths, hated physics. But I think that's why she was particularly inspirational, because she could see the bit she didn't like about physics I would really enjoy. And it was that real world application. And she said, you'd never get bored and I haven't got bored. So definitely like kudos to her she was right and she was quite an inspiration and then during undergrad quite a few different lecturers who've supported me the one who I did my research project with who's called Professor Sambles he was president of the Institute of Physics at one point he was super cool man and but he gave me kind of a love for research and then my PhD supervisor who's Professor Michael Johnston at Oxford he 
really influential because when you do a PhD, you basically spend three or four years of your life with that one person who's directing your research. And they kind of say that they become like research parents. It's so true. If he listens to this, this will be very embarrassing. But it, it, it is true. He was like a father figure in kind of research. So those PhD supervisors become quite inspirational and influential. So you might not have that one poster person, if that makes sense. But there's lots of small local people who are really inspirational. And that's been those role models for me. Do you have any advice for like teenagers getting into physics? Yeah. Just enjoy it and explore as much as you can because when you're kind of going, it's a great degree to study. It's really, really interesting. And I would say that kind of enjoy the topics, kind of enjoy them and pursue those. So if you want to get into research or academia, you need a very focused topic that you're going to enjoy for most of your life. Try as much when you're doing your degree to find that kind of topic you like and just explore it. And being a scientist is all about asking why. So feel free to do that in all aspects of your life. Be curious would be my advice. Be curious and um, keep doing it while it's fun would be kind of what I would say. Thank you for joining another STEM Untapped podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then subscribe for free on your podcast app. You can follow us on Instagram at STEM Untapped. If you know of a school or group of students who would like to interview female or non-binary role models, do get in touch. Likewise, if you know of anyone who would be a great role model, then let us know. Our details are all documented in the show notes.